Happy Mother's Day, ladies, grandmothers, aunts. I can't thank God enough for those ladies who have, whether it's been my mother, my grandparents, those who've taught in children's church, those people who have, have impacted my life. Those ladies have been a great blessing. And so I was thinking about, as we got into this family faith series, what could I share with you that you haven't heard before in regards to Mother's Day? You know, we could go to the Paul telling Timothy about his faith being passed on from generation to generation, and I suppose that's a, a good conversation to have, but you've heard that before. I want to share with you a couple of things that perhaps you haven't heard. I shared with you last week about a uh, statistic, a certain statistic that was a little bit alarming when the first time I read it, 55,000 churches. That's the statistic. 55,000 churches will close their doors between now and 2050 if something doesn't change. And so it's a call for us to be the church. But here's the next statistic. You ready? 73% of kids raised in the church, 73%, that's almost three out of four kids, raised in the church will eventually leave the church. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, what do we do for the future generations? What does the church look like? We were having a birthday party yesterday at the house for Ava Grace, who turned one. And I was thinking, what does the church look like 20 years from now? What does the church look like 30 years from now? Not that God's not going to do his part. God's always going to do his part. Jesus is clear that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. The church will always be here. But 73% of kids raised in the church, Hal, will leave, whether it's their high school years, whether it's the college years, but they will, they will take off. So what do we do about that? Or there's been recent books written with one particular book that I read years ago, and maybe you've read it as well. The title goes this way, They Love Jesus, They Hate the Church. Let that sink in for a second. They love Jesus, but they hate the church. Why is that? And finally, as we talked about last week, people are spiritual, but they don't want to claim any kind of religion. They don't like the organized religion. More about that here in just a second. So as we honor our mothers today, as we honor our grandparents, our aunts, those people who have played a, a major role in our faith, what could I say to you about what Scripture says to us? First of all, I think it's important to recognize the intimacy that we have from God. God is the one who shares with us his intimacy. And I don't know about you, but I learned intimacy first and foremost from my mother and father. This text here from Hosea chapter 11, 1 through 4, I think speaks to that intimacy. If you want to take this down and uh, look at it later, but I'm going to read it pretty quickly. Listen, listen specifically for the intimacy that God provides to his people, of course being the Israelites and eventually being us as New Testament Christians. It says, when Israel was a child, I, being God, loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, the Israelites. The more they were called, the more they went away. You ever felt like that as a parent? How many times have you, I, I remember my grandmother and my mother both, telling us how many times that they were on their knees for us. Have you ever been on your knees for your kids? I know you have. I have. How do you think God wants relationship with us? He wants the very best from us. He wants the very best for us. And yet every time, every time he called us, the more we went away. Sometimes you feel like that with your kids. I want what's best for you, but yet I can't do it for you. 
I want to alleviate those bad decisions you will make in your life, but you have to make those decisions. The more they were called, the more they went away, it says. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bit down to them, and I fed them. You hear the intimacy there? I think first and foremost, God teaches us intimacy through our parents, through our grandparents, through those people that really love us. And I want you to hear this morning that God loves you. Some of you may not have had a good relationship with your mother. Some of you may not have had a good relationship with your grandmother or with aunts. But I can assure you that real intimacy, true intimacy, comes first and foremost from God. Mickey mentioned to you our Bible study this morning, one of the things we talked about was grace. And I think the first and foremost idea of grace in my mind is creation. God is a self-sufficient God. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. And yet he chooses to have a relationship with me and with you. Isn't that amazing? And not just with me and you, but with the entirety of creation. And the first act of grace, the first act of love, the first act of intimacy, if you will, is God creates. And not only does he create, John, every time we reach out for God, he is there. Every time we don't reach out for God, He is there. Every time we turn away, God is asking us to come back. That's a sign of love. That's a sign of intimacy. That's a sign of grace and mercy and compassion. And I don't completely understand it. I'm not going to stand here and say that I've got it completely figured out because I don't. But what I do know is God loves us. Intimacy is first loved or learned through those mothers that we have, those grandmothers that we have, those those people that care for us. I hope you sense that, not only from those women in your life, but first and foremost, most importantly, from God. Second of all, a text from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. If you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 6. There's a couple of things I want to show you here in Deuteronomy 6. Those of you who know your Bible know this is part of the Pentateuch, part of the first five books of the Bible, oftentimes attributed to Moses. And one of the things that I think that I need to remember about my mother is although we butted heads, especially when I was a teenager, nine times out of, no, more than nine times out of ten, probably 9.9 times out of ten, she was right. And it's true for God and the Israelites. We just read a, a, a text about intimacy. But I want you to see, here's another text perhaps about intimacy, but it's expectations that God has for his people. Listen to what it says, Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 and we'll read a little bit further than, than what we have on the screen. But here's what it says, beginning in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give with you your great and good cities that you did not build, notice you didn't build it, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care. I love that phrase right there. Then take care. How many of us have become so bold, so arrogant, so prideful that we look back at our life and think, look what I did? Is that all of us? I think so. I, th I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we're humble enough to admit it, we all have a streak of pride. We all have a streak of, 
strength of arrogance. We all have a strength of this idea of... And so I think that's why Moses, whoever wrote Deuteronomy, God, for the first and foremost, but he says, and then take care. Don't forget, don't forget that God takes care of you. We can appreciate our mothers and our grandparents and those women who've poured into our lives, but ultimately they do so. Why? Because God, God does that through them. And for God doing it to the Israelites, look what it says. Take care. Don't forget. You have to be dependent upon God for these things. And God brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Keep going. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Bassa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. What does this have to do with Mother's Day? You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. And that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to you to give your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies before you as the Lord has promised. It goes on in verse 20 to say this. It says, when your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded you? You shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land that he promised on oath to give our ancestors. Then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our lasting good so as to keep us alive. So as to keep us alive, as is now the case. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, we will be in the right. Again, let me ask you the question, what does this text, Deuteronomy 6, 10-25, have to do with Mother's Day? This particular text in Deuteronomy 6 obviously is about Moses telling the Israelites, remember, God is always right. And I want to tell you this morning, by way of God, your mother is always right. Your mother is always right. I was thinking about the advice my mother gave me when I was growing up, and maybe you can think about some of these things as well and probably add some of your own. Whenever you leave the house, always wear clean underwear. Anybody else? If it smells bad, don't eat it. That's, that's pretty good advice, I would say. Be quick to forgive. That's really good advice. Be quick to forgive. God gives us advice like that all the time. And our mothers should be able to give us good advice, but we should also listen to our mothers. The faithfulness that's described here in Deuteronomy 6, I think also speaks to the faithfulness that we should provide to our future generations, whether we're mothers, whether we're fathers, whether we're grandparents, whether we're aunts, whether we're uncles, we have an obligation to future generations, to the 73% that leave the church, and that is to speak truth. We need to give it good advice. We'll talk about good advice here in just a second. What is good advice? Well, first and foremost, of course, it's the gospel, that Jesus loves you. I remember my grandmother, my mother as well, but most, most importantly, my grandmother, for the most part, would sing to us, Jesus loves you, this I know, 
For the Bible tells me so. Or red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. You, gotta, you guys know what I'm talking about. They would sit and open the Bible, the books of the Bible, little, little children's books that shared Bible stories. Jackie Tapp was asking me just recently about which Bible to pick up for her twins because they were at a po- certain point that some of the things that we're getting were, were not adequate for their age. And so we were talking about some of those things. But she was particular. I was particularly encouraged by it. But she was really interested in her obligation, her responsibility as a mother sharing the gospel with her children. You know, the Bible says that we should talk about his word as we go and as we come in. I wonder if you do that. My kids will tell you whether it's Ashley, the oldest, or Caitlin, the middle one, or even Christian now. When, when we leave here, we will ask what they talked about in Sunday school. We will, we will talk about what they talked about on Wednesday nights. Those are the kind of things we're talking about. My parents taught me priorities. Here's a side note for a second. I really believe it's okay for us as parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles to say no. You know, society doesn't believe that we should say no. So oftentimes you find the children raising the parents. You see how backwards that is? Does anybody see how backwards that is? The kids are like, no, I don't see how backwards that is. No, really. We, we, we should, it should be okay for us to say no. Sometimes God loves us enough to say no. He does that with the Israelites, and we should be doing that with the future generations. But the problems that we have, the problems that we talk about, the the problems that we see outside these walls is because we don't say no. Kyle mentioned it this morning in our Bible study. God disciplines those he loves, and if he's not disciplining you, that's kind of a scary thing for me. And we don't like discipline. I understand that. We don't like discipline. But we should be willing to We love the person behind us enough to say no, to discipline them. And because we don't, we find ourselves in the mess we find ourselves in. Back to the original. That was a little rabbit trail for a second. Priorities. Kids can't tell you their priorities. They don't know their priorities. We should be willing to lead by example. We should set their priorities for them. They should be in church. They should be given the Word of God, not just on a on a piece of paper to go home every Sunday and to to talk about with their parents, but it should be saturated. It should be over and over. We we, we teach them about their numbers, right? Before they go to to preschool or before they go to kindergarten, most kids know to count now to 20. We teach them about their colors. Why don't we teach them about Jesus? These are really important things. And I'm I'm not against numbers and and colors, and things like that. It's just, we've got our priorities out of whack. And so, people will go to the lake and say, well, we'll deal with church eventually. Or when our kids get to a certain age, then we'll get them into church so they can understand about Jesus. No, from this very age, your priority should be to have them in a place where they can learn about Jesus. And I would also offer to you your first ministry, your first calling as a parent or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, is to share the love of Christ with those who walk behind you. They don't know their priorities. There will come a point in time where they have to make their own decisions. But until that point in time, I make the decisions for my kids. And given the opportunity, I'll make the decisions for my grandkids. Finally, sacrificial love. I'll say a little bit more about this idea of remembering that God is always right. I want to talk to you just a bit about sacrificial love. The first thing I think of when I think about 
Mother's Day and Father's Day and this idea of raising your kids in a place where they should be raised is the Ephesians 5 text. And I want you to hear this text as I read it. It's up on the screen, but I want you to read it with me and, and, and just hear the text in regards to this sacrifice that not only God makes for us, but he expects us to make one with another. He says, be subject to one another. This is Paul, of course, talking to the church in, in Ephesus. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as, let me back up for a second, because this new revised standard version doesn't do it full justice. Some of your texts say the word submit, and that goes all over most of us in our society or most of society in general today. But this idea of being subject or submitting one to another, the reason that we have such a difficult problem with that is because we like our control, and it's not sacrificial. So with that said, I want to encourage you to do as Paul encourages the church in Ephesus to think about this sacrifice. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, not just her sacrificing, but he sacrifices, I sacrifice as well. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind, yes, so that she can be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ did for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ in the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife, as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Why am I talking to you about this on Mother's Day? Because of sacrificial love. Because your kids need to know that you're on the same page. You guys ever played the game? I know you have, and I know your kids have played it as well. If, if dad says no, what are we going to do? You guys know the game. And unless they know you're on the same page, that game will continue on from this age to this age to this age. It will never stop. And you have to be on the same page. And it's all about sacrifice. You may, you may do things that you don't necessarily agree with. But my kids need to know that Shay and I are on the same page. Especially when it comes to discipline. It goes on to say in chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Of course, if you can look back at Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 6 and find this. So that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. I kind of chuckle because my natural mind was, if I stepped out of line, I would not live well or I would not live long on the earth. My mom would jerk a, a kink in the chain. Sacrificial love. That's what love is all about, is sacrifice. Love is always about sacrifice. And for the ladies in my life, my mother, my grandparents, my aunts, those that have taught me, I, I mentioned Mrs. Pinchback who taught the three-year-olds last week. Those people that I look up to as heroes in the faith, they, the first and foremost, they epitomize this idea of sacrifice. Do you sacrifice as women? Do you sacrifice as mothers? How many of you have lost sleep over your kids? 
That would be sacrifice. I see, I see heads shaking. You've, you've lost sleep. That would, that would be sacrifice. How many of you have given up time, right? You really want to do something, but your kid's schedule says do something else. That's sacrifice. How many of you have driven the van, the soccer mom, the basketball mom, right? The football mom, whatever season it is. We, we all have these schedules, and that's what sacrificial, that's what sacrificial love is, is all about. But I think most importantly, I want you to make sure that you're on the same team. As you raise your kids, as you raise your children, they need to know God's love, not just by words, but by actions. They need to know you're on the same team. What would I say in conclusion? Not just this intimacy that God provides us so that we can provide to one another. Not just this idea of, of advice, good advice, of sharing the gospel with, with one another, of declaring God's goodness and what God wants for us, also being on the same team. But here's what I would say. I met with a lady this past week, and I asked her to tell me about Jesus. And I knew that she had gone to a particular church for several, several years, and it was me and the lady were in the room, and her granddaughter, she's in her 80s, and her granddaughter's 15 years old, who's sitting over here. And I asked the lady, I said, well, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about, tell me about your faith. And she said, well, first of all, I believe that faith is just morals, just be a good person. And I kind of pushed her on that a little bit. And I said, well, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about the church. And she said, well, I fell out of the church a long time ago. She said, I'm not into organized religion. I'm spiritual, but I'm not about religion. I'm not about organized religion. And I said, well, tell me about Jesus. And she said, well, I think Jesus had some good things to say. Now, listen, listen closely. She said, I think Jesus had some good things to say. I believe in treating you, uh, somebody else the way you want to be treated. And I said, the golden rule? She said, exactly. And I believe in the Ten Commandments. And I said, just what it says over there on the wall, she had a plaque of the Ten Commandments set up over there. And I said, I said just like that? And she said, just like that. But she said, as far as the rest of it, it's a bunch of bunk. And I said, what do you mean by the rest of it? And she said, anything outside the Gospels, anything other than what Jesus has attributed to say, she said, I don't believe it. She said, I, just, I believe it's just a bunch of religious people. And you know what broke my heart about that conversation was that 15-year-old sitting over here having to listen to that. Because I thought, what does a church look like 20 years from now? What does it look like 30 years? We're at a place in our church history where we're thinking about adding a staff person to minister to not only our kids, our teens, but families in general. I believe it's so important because it affects not just, if it affects one person, that's enough for me, but it's what the church looks like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. It's the gospel in a nutshell of God loves us, therefore we should love one another. It's the, it's the advice that I've been given so that I can pass on that advice. If I can stop you from making the same mistake, why wouldn't I love you enough to stop you from making the same mistake? And we as a church, not just individual families, yes, that's true, and, and we as individuals, I believe there's a responsibility as, there as well, but I think we as a church have an obligation for the community around us so that these people that drive into our parking lot Monday through Friday and park and walk to school at McKinney High have that same opportunity to hear the gospel from those at Hillcrest Christian Church that you may not have a good relationship with your mother. You may not have a good relationship with your father, but let me tell you about the one you can have a great relationship with. And that's our Heavenly Father. All through, 
all through Jesus. Now, some of you may be beating yourself up in your head right now about, you know, I've not been a good, I've not been a good parent. I've not been a good grandparent. I've not been a good aunt. I've not been a good uncle. I haven't fulfilled my responsibilities. I haven't been on the same team. I haven't done, I haven't done, I haven't done. And let me tell you the good news. I really believe that families are where we learn grace the most. In other words, what I'm saying is God gives us parents that are imperfect. God gives us kids that are imperfect. And the more we understand how imperfect we are and how imperfect that other person is, only then can we truly understand grace. Only truly then can we understand love and mercy and compassion. No, you're not a perfect parent, nor am I. And anybody tells you that you're the perfect parent, the perfect spouse, the perfect grandparent, the perfect whatever, they're lying to you because there is no perfect. But the, quickest we under, the quicker we understand grace, the quicker we understand I'm not, but God is. The quicker we understand that I can't, but God has, then we'll really understand what it means to love and to give and to forgive. My prayer for you this morning is whether you're a mother celebrating Mother's Day, Grandparents' Day, if you're a father who's thinking about their own responsibilities, this applies across the board, that you'll first and foremost understand God's grace, that you'll receive that grace. And you'll also understand your responsibility in this big scheme of things called life. You have an obligation to share with those future generations what God has done for us. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would hold our feet to the fire. I hope, God, that you will share with us your love, your mercy, your compassion, but you will also remind us of our responsibility, God, that we never retire spiritually, that we have an obligation, whether they live in our house or don't live in our house, to declare your majesty, your glory, your grace, your love, your mercy, and most of all, your sacrificial love. Father, forgive us where our flesh wins and we take control. Help us to receive Jesus over and over and over again. And I'm grateful so much for your grace and your love and mercy. I'm grateful for the sacrifice that he made on, on my behalf, on, on behalf of the world. And I pray, God, that we would take that great gift and use it wisely. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.